0: On today's episode of The Deep Dive, I'm joined by Amat Azkimrimli. Amat is a senior research fellow at IBEI. I'm not even going to go through the Spanish pronunciation of that, but is Institute of Barcelona de Estudios Internacionales and a senior research associate at CIDOB, the Barcelona Center for International Affairs. He's the author of the recently published Cancelled, The Left Way Back from Woke. Ahmed, I want to welcome you to the Deep Dive. How are you? This my morning, your afternoon.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm impressed to see someone who can start operating at 6, 6.30 a.m. without loads of coffee, it seems. <laughs> or maybe you. Yeah, you know, no, the funny thing is I do not drink coffee.
0: So I'm not a coffee drinker at all. Oh, my. I know for someone who's Turkish, that's probably like blasphemy that I've just um I've just given you there.
1: Well I I mean I haven't lived it But I do drink tea, so I have tea. Uh, okay, well that's the Turkish thing actually, you know? I mean the country is well, okay, there's there's this huge competition between the name of the coffee because you know it's a Greek coffee, Turkish coffee, Cypriot coffee, Arabic coffee and all of that. There is this, yes. But the country is a tea country. So, but I do, I did live, I mean, I haven't lived in Turkey since 2010 now, so almost 15 years and both Scandinavia and Spain, all the countries that I lived are coffee countries. So I drink gallons of coffee every day. Uh, well, I'm definitely one for the tea. Who'll lay that at the feet of the
0: British colonialist? Um, <laughs> from from <laughs> I see. But on the on the good side of things, um, I have been to Istanbul a couple of times, and it is one of my favorite cities. So, um, uh, yeah, very fond memories of my time spent in Istanbul, which was last in 2019. So it's been a little while for me—not 15 years, but it feels feels like 15 years. I'm excited that we were able to have this conversation. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's one that I've been really looking forward to, um, because I think there's a, a opportunity to engage in in some ideas ideologically. You know, I've not been one to put a lot of like weight into the ideas of canceling and woke and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like so I'm I'm coming in with a skeptic's eye. Yeah. Right. But I think that gives us an opportunity to dive in, no pun intended, about the name of the show, into some of these ideas. Right. So I want to start at the beginning, right? Woke means a lot of different things. I want to give you an opportunity to share what you think woke means and why you felt like this book at this moment is necessary. So two questions in one.
1: Well, actually, the starting point is pretty Well, I mean, it's going to be, uh, it will come as a surprise maybe, but I mean, the point is, actually, I was also quite distant to these questions. I mean, well, I have to refer to some personal experiences, which of course, kind of led to the writing of this book as well. But I mean, what I'm going to mention here is, you know, independent of this, I'm actually a political scientist who, who used to work on mostly nationalism. I have a textbook which is widely used and all of that. So at some point in 2017, 18, I had to, you know, I stopped working actively because my son was very sick. He was, I mean, he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer when he was 11 months old. And then we spent the next four years all over the place, including. Michigan Los Angeles because you know we've spent some time in Los Angeles Children's Hospital as well and in different parts of the country from one from one trial to the next that's the life of cancer parents we call them you know we had Facebook groups and all of that so when the story came to a tragic end in well in about a month's time it will be the anniversary on July 5 2018 I was thinking of working on populism and the far right, because that was my idea for a while. I I never like to focus and write on the same things again and again. So even though my broad area of study and interest had always been identity, questions of nationalism, nation state race, obviously, I did change within the general field. And I had my eyes on the study of the rise of the far right, obviously, not only in in established democracies in Europe, but also, of course, you know, these were the years, post-Trump years, everybody was talking about Brexit, Trump's election, and all of that. But all of a sudden, I found myself in the midst of a cancellation myself, which is interesting uh, in its and only on its own. And I, I kind of noticed things that I didn't know existed. Uh, that's the story of the prologue, actually, because, you know, it was a rabbit hole. I mean, that's why I used the metaphor, because I didn't, as a self-described leftist, progressive, the son of a Marxist father and all of that, I never thought of looking inside my own circles. And when things started to happen around me, I realized the changes, the cultural changes that were actually happening and some of the things that I took for granted collapsed like a house of cards over 24 hours. People that I thought are progressive sided with an authoritarian government in Turkey. Principles that I held dear to my heart all my life, due process, you know, innocent until proven guilty, you know, basic principles of human rights, rule of law, etc they didn't make any sense. And what was most surprising, this breach of basic freedoms and rights was coming from my political side who kind of acted like the other side so all of a sudden i thought my world was upside down you know i found myself as as i really found myself in an alternate reality you know i did use it in as a metaphor in the introduction in the prologue but it actually was an alternate reality france disappearing uh, and all of that so after what I went through, then I started to think about maybe like you, you know, I don't know. I said, what is cancellation? What is woke? Because the only way that I knew woke as a term was through Black Lives Matter and the original meaning of woke, simply, you know, alert to racial and social injustice. Because I was, as a left wing person, a- as an ardent supporter of Black Lives Matter and all sorts of minority marginalized group rights movements. For me, woke meant, you know, immediately, let's just say, you know, if it were a game and I would like, what's the first image that comes to your mind when you think of woke? Woke against police brutality. That's not my reality. I don't live in the United States, but I am, of course, I grew up with these images of black people being, you know, stopped by the police, shut down, Ferguson, I can't breathe, George Floyd, all of these things were in front of my eyes. And maybe just, just to provide as a context, I'm 53 years old. So I did live through these times quite, I mean, in my thirties and forties. So I was quite conscious. I was already, so that was the, the only meaning that I knew. And then I started researching because what I went through made me think it was both a soul searching in many ways. I mean, did I make mistakes that I was unaware of? And then what happened to the left, what happened? culturally and politically with the changing generations and all of that. So I started then to start, you know, looking around my own rabbit hole, explore and read the stories of people who experienced similar things. And then through complete coincidence, for some odd reason, my own story has coincided, was made to coincide with the issue of LGBTQ rights. (laughs) It has nothing to do with me or anything, but the feminists who supported me were uh, accused of being transphobic. And then I started to see the toxicity was actually much more and much worse than I thought in the beginning. I kind of then, to reply to your question, realized that Vogue was not only hijacked by the right, the Santis kind of right, which uses it as a you know, a blanket term, just like the commies of the, once it was the commies, and uh, now it's the walkies, is that- uh, Red Scare. Exactly, it's like a Red Scare. Pinkos. Exactly, exactly. So it was the same thing, Based and, and that if you look at the etymology of the word and how it evolved, it starts from love and hip hop in New York and then it's, it goes through black Twitter and then the right hijacks it. But then I I actually discovered, and that's the meaning that I'm referring to in my book, and that's the one that I have a beef with, I actually think that woke has been hijacked twice. And the second hijacking happened with the new generation of radical identity activists, which I think is not that different than the right-wing hijacking in many ways. And that led me to, and that's the story of the whole book, which I think will go on, go in later, the deep dive part. I also think that it's a betrayal of the original idea of identity politics of black feminist activists. So I think they've been hijacked. The people that I use as my guides in this book are black feminist, lesbian, socialist activists like Barbara Smith. Demita Frazier, the Combahee River Collective, Loretta Ross, all these people. Not the traditional left, the Marxist left. I mean, I I still think that we should have a very solid materialist background. That aside, my real kind of muse, so to speak, the inspiration is black feminist thought. And I know from their writings, from their memoirs, that they're not happy with the academic turn of the term woke. And I
0: think that's a that's a good place to kind of pick this up, right? Because I'm I'm on the record as saying like language really matters to me, right? Like if we if we're not talking about the same things then it becomes very hard to you know, bridge gaps to figure out where we're all coming from. So the hijackings. I guess what I'm going to ask is using the the metaphor provided to me about a hijacking one first from the right and then from the left. You know, are are all hijackings equal? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. In the sense, in the sense that you know the the right that that you have described and you know I don't fuck with the right, right? <laughs> and um, and everyone who listens to the show already knows this, right? So people are walking in already knowing this. They have a very clear and focused agenda, and it's not a new agenda. It's an agenda that has been running through, and I'm, I'm talking about an American context, right, just to frame it, right? This is a, a, a project that you can argue from the beginning, or you can say, hey, you know what, desegregation, they've been focused on having a certain type of America once there was Brown versus Board of Education, right? And that includes you know, these type of culture wars in order to advance their agenda through legislative means, through judicial means, and and all the rest of it. I think that is, in my mind, right, very different from, you know, these industries that are highlighted in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll use your terminology, the radical identity folks, right? DeSantis is the governor of one of the most populated states in the United States, right? Florida. You know, Ibram Kendi is just a dude. He has he has no impact on one's life. Full disclosure: I've interviewed him for when I had a different show, Two Dope Boys in a Podcast. So, shout out to the entire Two Dope Boys in a Podcast crew. But I interviewed him around Stamp from the Beginning, not his more recent anti-racist work. Right? Oh, that's a
1: really good book. That's the first one.
0: Yeah, the first one's amazing. Right? The second one, not written for me. Right? No, <laughs> like I've i'm already embody this i don't need to read the anti-racist book right but stand from the beginning very important book so i that's my example of those two hijackings to the extent that there are hijackings aren't in my mind aren't the same right so i want to give you an opportunity to discuss that left meets right which is one of the chapters in the book because i don't i don't i can't quite get there
1: (laughs) Ah, see, that's- I'm being being kind. (laughs) Oh, I know, I know, I know. No, but I mean, that's exactly the best part of discussing these issues with someone who has actually read the book. And I really, I'm really grateful for you to do that. Now, the thing is, it's very simple, actually. And I think from what you just, when you were kind of expressing yourself, we are free to talk as we wish, right? Use the certain words, F words and all of that. Been cursed
0: all my life. I don't care.
1: Like that's the thing. <laughs> We're adults. <laughs> the two hijackings are not one and the same. The problem. I'll come to that. But just for the record, I make it very clear as the beginning of the book, even before I actually define the terms right, left, liberal, you know, democracy, uh, all these things, because you know that was that's the most important thing. Also, because I know that in culture wars, I would be which happened, of course, as it was like scripted. And I mean, they didn't even like, they didn't even include a, a, a kind of tiny bit of creativity. It was the script that I foreseen back to me in 24 hours. I knew that I was going to be accused of helping or enabling the far right or dog whistle, etc., etc. That's why I made it clear from the beginning that I don't see the threat to liberal democracy coming from the right and the left are equal. They're not. The right is the real enemy. See, let's just use the word. They're the fucking enemy. Now, my problem here begins. And that's why I will take you to chapter four, where the left meets the right. I'm angry with the left because they're trying to copy the right, the mimicking, the aping, the ways of doing it. So why am I someone? who considered himself, who's written... I mean, it's not like I self as progressive, you know? I mean, I have a career that goes back to 25 years, and this is my seventh book. So it's not that I'm... I mean, you know, just, you just Google me, and you find out that I've been a dissident and all of that. So I'm someone who is self-described progressive leftist and asking questions about the kinds of right anti-politics that we are seeing today. And why am I being automatically reduced to a far-right stooge? getting into bed with them, cozying up to them and this and that. Now that I find is actually not left at all. So the two hijackings are not equal in the, in the sense, I mean, they don't have the same influence because the right has political power. The, uh, the right has economic power enormous amounts of, I mean, they realize that right now, the only battleground that they still have to fight is the university campuses. So that's why now they're pouring in money to Turning Point USA to different, I mean, you know, this, this crappy thing. What was it? There's a university, well, makeshift university. I forgot. I mean, it's, it's a private thing, conservative Patrick Henry University or, or no 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 not that one it's Liberty uh no I'll well I'll I'll just send you the link later I mean there's there's a host of them like it's a it's an ent- yeah there's a host of them and and they are- it's an entire network of, of institutions exactly they're organizing students uh, they are trying to get rid of tenure you know there's they're so they're conquering that too and if we're confronted with this how can we even consider imagine, the possibility of the left being on a similar level after right as a wing right-wing threat so no the two hijackings are not similar the problem is the second hijacking the left hijacking is trying to fight like them you know the same illiberal tactics and strategies why does this matter because should we punch a nazi should we debate a nazi well i think that matters because And that's why the chapter four is there, because it weakens us in the fight against the real enemy, the juggernaut. Why did I use the uh, black feminist activists? Because when they were in 1970s, when they were organizing, they were doing it with white feminists, pro-life groups, third world women. So they were building bridges. Whereas what I see on the right, on, on the left today is that, okay, the deplorables attitude, okay? We don't talk to them. Like this, does this mean, am I going as far as to say that hate words don't matter? No, of course not. Do I say that hate speech should be allowed? No, the problem is, and this is something that I do as an exercise with my students and at two different levels, 19, 20 year old undergraduate students, Spaniards and Catalans, Spanish and Catalans, and graduate students from all over the country i have this year for instance three american students these are 24 25 year olds so the question is very simple is it okay to punch a nazi we may like to do that but if i do want to distinguish myself from the right then i think i should choose not to punch a nazi unless i have to in conditions of self-defense, I would do it. If it were if it were my child who's in danger, I would do it. But to talk, and then there's another problem: who defines what what a Nazi is?
0: Let me jump in real quick. Debating that gets thrown around a lot, right? Like, should we should we punch Nazis and debate Nazis and stuff like that? I think Nazis have told me who they are, right? Like they're they're pretty clear as to where they stand, who they are, what their goals are, and Nazis is a euphemism for any fascist, right? Because fascism looks different in different places, right? So the fascism of Nazi Germany in the 30s is distinct from fascism in Italy, distinct from fascism in Tojo's Japan, distinct from fascism in the United States, yeah. right? So fascism doesn't have to look the same in order to be relevant, right? And people people who are fascist, but will use the shorthand Nazis, right? They tell me who they are, right? So, But this is my point real quick, right? Talking about debate. I view debate as like a trap to a certain extent, right? Because one, we're assuming that debate is one of the most effective ways to communicate ideas right so you're at a lectern i'm at a lectern we have these rules and now you're going to tell me what you think and i'm going to tell you what we think and blah 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 right so first off i'm going to be like eh, i don't know if that's most effective right it's effective in a particular western canon way of thinking about how to parse ideas right and i make an analogy when talking about debate because i'm one of those people who are like not interested in talking to people on the right, which is why I have this show. I don't invite right wing people on it because I know what your ideas are. I don't need to discuss them in order to like better fight you if you're the enemy, so to speak, right? It's, it's like I use the analogy of like flat earthers, right? If you're someone out there who thinks the earth is flat, why am I debating with you, right? And believing the earth is flat is to me the same as conservative right wing thought. Because your ideas are so absurd and without value. Why am I discussing them with you? Because my discussing them gives them credibility. In the same way, if someone is like, oh, the earth is flat, and I bring them on the show to have an hour-long conversation about the flatness of the earth, it's me saying that I actually believe that's a credible idea worth having a conversation.
1: Do you get what I'm saying? Like, so I want to go through that a little bit more. Like, what do you think? I'll, I'll be pretty straightforward because I don't want to be misunderstood again uh, by the by other people. I mean, not you, by other people. No, we shouldn't debate with a Nazi. We shouldn't debate with a fascist. You can't change their minds. It doesn't have any value. It's a waste of time and all of that. What I'm saying is, not everybody who votes for Nazis. That includes politicians. And okay, Nazis, leave it aside because that's if a political scientist, it's a thirties. But fascists, right? For me. Just to be on the clear side, Melon is a fascist, okay? Trump is a fascist. I'm sorry, if they, if your listeners don't like it, I don't care. Ron DeSantis is a fascist. Do I, am I going to win anything? Can I, first of all, can I convince that person? No. Am I giving this person platform? Indeed. And and these guys are not that they lack any platforms anyways. So sh- why should I? So, But that's not what I'm arguing, I'm saying, That is everybody who is voting for DeSantis and Trump, 74 million in 2020. Are they also fascists? Shouldn't we talk to any one of them? Now, I know that in Arizona or Arkansas, I don't remember where there was, there were a couple who drank bleach because Trump said that it, it cures COVID. Okay. I know that I probably won't be able to change the minds of that couple, but we're talking about 74 million. That's the whole point about chapter four. Now, you just gave me the example yourself, actually. You walked into, not a trap, because this is something what I wanted to say anyways, like you gave me the, you opened the door. You have me on your show, right? Why? Because you think that I'm someone that you may disagree, but it's worth giving a platform, right? There were a number of political scientists, historians from reputable universities who called, just because of the, called me, just because of the title of the book and the endorses and the Amazon blurb that I'm facilitating genocidal politics. Now that's, I'm sorry, that I don't see any difference here from a Trump supporter who drinks bleach and a so-called identitarian who believes that anybody who disagrees from the main tenets of their beliefs is actually Roy DeSantis. There is a difference there. There's a lot of difference
0: there, um, and I'm I can't speak for those folks who are that serious about this, right? But I think to your to your question, because you know, que- answers beget more questions. Even though I have like three pages of notes here <laughs> that I fear I'm not going to be able to to get through. Well, well, we'll do the part two, maybe. We're gonna we're gonna do our best, right? Yeah. Those seventy four million people, right? Like millions of people, even more than seventy four million have historically had bad ideas, right? And one of the things that always like makes me scratch my head in moments like that, like not this particular interview, but yeah. these types of conversations is I look at January 6th, right? Because that's also featured prominently in the book. It's a uh, most people will know that was the insurrectionist attack on the Capitol. Right. And I look at this and I I think you do ask in the book, like, you know, we should be understand, like not understanding why they did it, but try to get into their minds. You know, the 74 million people, they have to have had a reason. Right. And I say to myself, like, why are we not talking about like all the other people who are who have other legitimate beefs that didn't storm the Capitol? Right. Like we had a a march on Washington in, in 1963 famously put together, A. Philip Randolph, Martin Luther King, bunch of people, right? Yeah. A lot of brothers and sisters went down to the Capitol in the heights of segregated America and didn't burn the place down, right? So There's clearly something that is triggering certain people in a way that's not triggering others, right? Who I could argue have just as much beef, right? And more. <laughs> So why are, why are we not spending all this time like getting into like the identity of those people, right? Like no one asked me, hey, Phil, how come you didn't storm the Capitol when, you know, Bush stole the election against Gore or when Hillary gets more votes and Trump's still president, right? Like that's what's frustrating to me, that for all the talk around identity, identity does matter,
1: but it's whose identity open-ended, so. Exactly, open-ended, and I mean, as I argue in the book, two things that I think are important to remember, all politics is identity politics. It's not my invention. There's a lot of people, there are lots of people who say that. One example that I I use in the book is Ian Hani Lopez from Berkeley University. So basically what they're doing is also identity politics. Ron DeSantis, Trump are doing white identity politics. Okay. And that obviously takes the form of white nationalism, white supremacy. On the other hand, the question is not exactly, yes, we should be able to speak to about our own identities. My question is again, you know, is, a, is, is kind of more practical, you know, like if you ask me as Phil, as you did two minutes ago, why shouldn't we talk about these things? My answer to yeah, exactly. Let's do that. Whereas if someone like Candy or Robin D'Angelo come to me and say that white identity is inherently racist and there's nothing you can do about it other than confess. I don't think, let alone me. I mean, I, I can still be persuaded because, you know, I've read and I know the story of all of that. But I mean, the one of the things that the, the United States and actually Britain too, the Anglo-Saxon needs to, needs to realize is that there is a world outside that too. So whiteness, for example, it does not have the same connotation in Europe as it did you know, it in the United States with a huge history burden of slavery in Europe. White. This is also relevant. White supremacy does exist. Just ask Anders Breivik, who killed ninety young kids, or lots of others. But it's the immigrant who is the black of uh, of Europe, for instance. So if you live in Sweden for ten years, you are not white. I'm very white in Turkey because we have our own. We meaning the Turkish people have their own Kurds, this and that. Their refugees, Syrians and Afghans, but. The moment I move out of the borders of Turkey, I'm no longer a white person. So categories, identity matters, but naming identity, whose identity matters. These are also are all power and, and domination issues. So the fact that the white has the power to impose this on us, all of us, black and white, European and non-European, then we have to find a way to to talk to people Not to necessarily convince them, but how do I start? I did use the analogy. I mean, I was thinking of myself, like, let's just say I'm an addict. Okay. And I go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and then they're the moderator. First of all, that's why I I actually worked on that. I I was, I'm not an alcoholic, but if I were, Mm -hmm. that would be the first thing that I would do. First of all, to go to the meeting in itself is an act of courage. It's not easy to go to this meeting and to stand up in front of 20 people and say, okay, I'm a racist, which I learned too. I learned it in the case of I'm a man. I'm a heterosexual man, okay? And certain things that I do, I say this in my classes now, mixed classes, and I say that, that I now know through the several things that I went through, not an accusation or anything, it's just that I realized that I may inadvertently, without even noticing, do certain things that may make feel women uncomfortable or LGBTQ people uncomfortable. So that's the first step. Then I say, my name is Umut and I'm a racist, okay? But the moderator tells me not only that I'm racist and I'm there to recover following a 12 program, he tells me, if it were Robin D'Angelo, she tells me that first of all, I need to accept, or if it's candy, you're white, you're beyond salvation. The only thing you can do is to ask yourself as many times as possible to remind yourself that you're guilty. And the second thing is you're also responsible for everything that more violent, more extremist, racist have done today and in the past.
0: Yeah, I, I can't speak for Robin D'Angelo, right? Exactly. Or D'Angelo, whatever you say your name. Because again, she's she's one of these folks, like I don't read their stuff, right? Because that stuff to me written for white people. <laughs> right. Like white people read that stuff because it it fills in A, it's bestsellers, and you know, the, the world is filled with piles and piles of these diversity books, particularly after George Floyd. A lot of people bought these books, didn't really read them, apparently, since we have such a an incredible pushback against some pretty basic ideas. Right. So I'm I can't speak to Robin D'Angelo, right? She's probably, you know, got a good hustle going, right? Which a lot of a lot of people do. Right. So I'm like, all right, hustle away. Right. If, if folks are, are convinced enough, or I'm, I'm not going to say dumb enough to, to spend money on you, then rock with it. Right. But I don't see these people as like serious people in the sense that the work of, of true activists, the work of people who are on the ground, who are trying to push through like different ways of, of doing politics. And, you know, again, Building Bridges, you know, Bridges My Back, you reference that book in the book. Yes, I just don't see them. Like when I'm with my boys and a girl, you know, like my friends, mixed group of friends, male and female, no one is having like these conversations around these things. Not because we're not politically minded, but it's like, there's no real heft to them in our real world experience, right? So I come back to this notion of, you know, what identities really matter here, right? Because they they are getting, things are getting named and we're moving forward with them. So like working class is just like an acronym for white people here, right? With the New York Times talked about the working class, they might say white working class, but you know, if if they're using that kind of language and iconography, they largely mean white people. So why did so many working class people vote for Trump? As if to say... Black people, latinos, women aren't also working class. How come they didn't vote for Trump?
1: And also voting for Trump, some of them.
0: Some of them, but not
1: that many. Not many of them, no.
0: (laughs) Right. But that's like saying, oh, oh, why is, you know, George Soros a billionaire, kind of a liberal progressive guy, right? Like there's always going to be that, right? So I'm trying to get to a, a better understanding of who is the audience for this framing of woke and canceled, right? Because the the people I know on the ground are not having these arguments about pronouns and and all the rest of it.
1: Yes. They're too busy doing real work. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why the book starts with The Woman's Watch on Washington. It goes through, I mean, as you know, I've written the book with certain refer, starting each chapter with real world examples. That was, there was a reason for it. I mean, those examples were chosen to make the point that I'm going to, you know, develop in the remaining of the chapter, and that's that's exactly the the book starts with a woman's march on Washington, which was a huge success, the first one, to 2017. But then, you know, it dwindles, 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 you know, don't wear a pink pussy hat and all of that. So you see the problem is not only the Angelo and Ibram candy If it were, as you said, and actually, who cares? Because they, they have their own website. Just go there, look at the list of clients. It's big companies. It's like, you know, it's just feel good exercises. Oh, we, we, t- we gave our, you know, employees a diversity, equity, inclusion training, we're done kind of thing. Okay. But that's not the thing. I mean, I'm to- but there is also a group of people in the culture industry, which by which I'm talking about, you know, well, the legacy media or social media universities, these people are setting the frame of, I mean, the agenda They're framing the agenda. So yes, when you're with your friends, you're not talking about that. But when you go, I mean, when you are, and and as I, it's it's really interesting because if I didn't, I mean, had went through or gone through a process of cancellation, probably I wouldn't have noticed it myself either. But when you do suffer that, then you start to realize that it's actually like, so, so you write a book, someone who wants to read it, Phil McKenzie talks to me, but there are a lot of people and see, you know, he said, you don't want to associate themselves, but then again, okay, you don't like, uh, we're we're not talking about Angela, the candy. We're not talking about the guys, the people who basically called a boycott for a boycott on Polity for publishing my, and another book from, again, the left, to study an anti-walkway, so then, yeah, but I mean, then who are we going to talk about? Because that's exactly my point. Why? Well, I mean, I'm saying that, yes, there's a reason why I start with the Washington Watch and I finish with Black Lives Matter, because one of the best books that I've read uh, in this last four or five years is Alicia Garza's memoir, The Purpose of Power. She did realize, she didn't start by realizing that, she's very open about it. But she learned that this requires community building, knock on, you know, knock on the doors, door to door, talking to people, bringing them together. And she wasn't, by the way, doing this canvassing the door to door among white people. No, she was doing it in Ferguson, San Louis, because she knew that it was easy to bring together people for one event, but it's not easy to keep them alert, woke to social injustice, establish local chapters of BLM, become members. So she says, you know, that's, I'm just paraphrasing as much as I can remember, hashtags hashtags don't start, you know, hashtag starts movements, but you can't build a movement out of a hashtag. Building requires sustaining, organizing, you know, and that's where I'm, you know, having this problem. I mean, if a Cambridge professor of history calls someone who has, with the right credentials, writes a book on identity politics and asks some questions, How can I be automatically be accused of transphobic, homophobic, this and that? You know, see, the problem goes beyond D'Angelo and Candy. If it were only that, I wouldn't be, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I mean, you know, I can, I can give you several names. I knew that, I mean, Cornell philosopher Kate Manne. she says, no, we shouldn't talk to Trump supporters. She says, we we, we have to tell them it's quoted in the book. Fuck you. Fuck off. Now that's the choice. You can do that. But Alicia Garza. And the Combahee River Collective that they look up to would say, if you say fuck off, you don't build power. You may feel empowered individually. You may feel good about yourself. You may create a safe space, but you don't achieve power. How am I going to win elections? How? Let's just say that that is impossible vis-a-vis the juggernaut that we call the Republican Party. Well, Biden won I mean, that's another interesting point because I, I
0: actually don't view the right as a juggernaut or as a monolith, right? I think that they uh, exactly. they have their own infighting, if you want to use that word, as left people do, right? Like they don't all agree, which is why we have, I don't know, 10 or 15 lunatics that are going to be running for the Republican nomination come 2024, right? They are, they're going to get on a stage and, and try to figure out Who's the best worst person out of Nikki Haley or, or Ron DeSantis or Trump or Tim Scott or whoever else they're gonna they're gonna throw up there? But I- I'm glad you brought up the women's march because you know, significant event, millions of people. And yes, there's the fighting about I guess hats and all the, and all the rest of it. But there's also like ways in which these things are exacerbated. I I remember um Linda Sassore, who's an organizer had a, a a story in the New York Times talking about, you know, she was, she at the time she was like, look, a lot of people are attacking me particularly. She's a Palestinian organizer. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, whatever. But then New York Times published like a pretty in-depth report about how, yeah, these, you know, bots, these digital bots that the right and right-leaning organizations can organize know how to digitally emphasize certain things, right? That does tip the scale right? And takes things that are maybe important to some, but not as important to others and exacerbate them, right? So I don't know if the demise of the Women's March as a particular political force is all due to infighting about pussy hats, or is it some of that, but also a few other things that that are coming from
1: the right. Well, they are all listed there, actually. I mean, you know, it's not only pussy hats, of course, that's one of them. Then LGBTQ rights, then the pro-life, what to do with pro-life, pro-choice, division you know the, the most important the most fundamental division of American society what to do with white versus black and then within the black Tamika I mean what happened to Tamika Mallory? she went to a black pan uh, the Louis Farrakhan Nation of Islam yeah. thing and the tablet magazine a Jewish magazine immediately accused her of being anti-semitist now I, I I can't know the details I've read both sides of the story uh, but I am convinced okay I mean there are there is enough information which shows that the Nation of Islam was involved in financing. But then there is also Tamika Mallory's amazing defense of herself where she says, where my people are, I must be. So she says that, yeah, she went there because some of her constituency was there. Now that's a choice. So that's why Alicia Gazette and and that's what these people are telling us, you know, these are the people on the ground. Why should I listen to a Cambridge professor, not to mention the fact that she's white but okay why am I supposed to listen to an academic who has never been on the field I'm not either but I don't make claims because I'm, uh, that's why I kind of, you know, if Loretta Ross, who opens the book, I don't know her at all. I've just exchanged one or two emails after I wrote the book. You know, this is a woman who suffered, but who's been raped several times, gang raped, subject to and uh, her son is a uh, incest rape. I mean, she's, you know, Howard is her son. He, She tells it uh, in her oral hist- uh memoir, oral history project. So that's the, this woman then with her uh, right now, late friend Yolanda, they went to a woman's prison for two years every Friday to work with rapists, rapist men leading them at the end of two years to establish the first prisoners against rape group in United States. Actually, that guy who wrote the letter to Loretta and Yolanda and asked them to come to um, William Fuller, I chased him and I found traces of him. He actually was freed from uh, even though he had a life sentence because of good behavior and becoming uh, an exemplar of fighting against racism within prison. He was released and he completely conduct, you know, had led a normal life, died secretly, but he also gave testimony to the Senate about this. So if Loretta Ross, who is a victim of rape, can work with rapists, if Loretta Ross, who has been also subject to racism, while well, the Deacon Shield incident, uh, you know, the, they were used as guinea pigs for birth uh, control, this device and then they lost their ability to, they, they, they became infertile, infertile. If she can work with these people, Kulukluks clan, why shouldn't we listen to these advices? I'm not saying that Loretta or Alicia Garza are correct necessarily. The only thing that I know is that the other way around doesn't work. Well, there's,
0: a, there's an incredible burden and weight on that as well, right? And not all organizers are going to fit into the same box, right so it's almost as if we're going into an, another realm here where we're talking around issues of you know forgiveness mm-hmm. and redemption who's who's worthy of those things right and I'm I'm sitting in a place where you know among the right death penalty is very very popular. Yeah, let's put it let's put it that way, right? And and so this this notion of canceling, right? Like when we when we are talking about these notions of redemption of who gets to come back, like Adrian Adrian Marie Brown is is another woman who has been on the show, and she has a an essay. We will not cancel us. She's written about this a lot, and she talks about in her mind this notion of canceling is about punishment you know some sort of punitive ways of in which we look at the world right and what I'm trying to pull apart is yes that can be true but as someone who's an abolitionist I'm like okay are any punishments acceptable to what extent are punishments acceptable we live in a world where I would say look we have prisons I'm not a fan of prisons but if prisons if you say look you serve 10 years and you're done you should be done society doesn't work that way right you have to constantly check off the box yes I'm a convicted felon right so this canceling is a to the extent that we're using it in this context is a is a bigger concept than than this right? And in the book, you you mentioned like J.K. Rowling comes up quite a lot. I never realized this person was this popular beyond Harry Potter, but she's become like kind of a anchor when we're in these conversations. And I'm, and I'm left with, again, this idea like J.K. Rowling is readily available. I could turn this off. I could click my HBO Max because I refuse to call it Max, even though that's a new name. And I could watch a Harry Potter movie. I could go to any bookstore and filled with Harry Potter books.
1: Barnes and Noble got a big-ass Lego of Harry Potter. How is this woman canceled? Yeah, but you can make the same argument about Dave Chappelle, which I use in the book. Well, I mean, that's... Yeah, him too. Neither of these people are canceled to me. Yeah, but that's the I mean, but that doesn't change the fact that... No, but I mean, (laughs) they are too big to cancel. That doesn't mean... I mean, the arguments that I use, again. I mean, it's very simple. I mean, the fact that these people are too big to cancel doesn't mean that cancel culture doesn't exist. One. Two. The fact that these people are too big to cancel doesn't mean that they don't suffer from the consequences. Yes, they're not cancelled, but how would you like to feel, you know, if you receive death threats to your the hundreds of them via online or mails, or if someone would go online and dox you, you know, publish your address with a manual of a pipe bomb and you have kids? I had a kid. How would you feel now? You're not canceled. Yes. Your books are still selling. Yes. You have enough money to put on as many CCTVs as possible and, and have bodyguards. Dave Chappelle had bodyguards that still didn't stop someone from trying to stab him alive. Uh, now he had enough bodyguards to stop the guy. What if he didn't? Salman Rushdie didn't.
0: I agree with all of that. And I'm not advocating for death penalty, no, not death penalty, death threats and all the rest of that shit. People have done that shit forever. Before we had these terms canceled, people been sending letters to folks and all those things, right? There's a difference. There's a huge difference. There is a difference, but this is, this is one of the differences I want to try to get to, right? Is that we, in the book, you talk about like we're suffering from this notion of like individuality, right? But those issues that a Dave Chappelle or JK Rowling, I'm not wishing them on anybody. I'm a go with Grace kind of guy, right? But- Those are their personal grievances in the same way that these identity folks would say, like, these are my personal grievances. So why is one an arbiter of a problem and the other isn't? Like Dave Chappelle can can say whatever he wants and someone else can also react to whatever he says. That's how this
1: works. Oh, yeah. I mean, saying yes trying to stab is a different thing, but, but it's not, let's not focus on these people because as I said, you know, they are too big to cancel, but cancelling, and it's not only me who says that again, Loretta Ross mentions it too, cancelling happens horizontally. Like to people who don't have, I gave the example of Justin Sacco, the first big uh, case of cancelling. It's this is amazing book by John Ronson, you know, so you've been publicly shamed. Is this the woman who wrote the tweet? Yeah, who wrote, the woman who writes a racist tweet, yeah. like terrible sense of humor uh, about, you know, Africans and AIDS, you know, shitty racism. And then she tweets it, She she takes a plane to South Africa. 12 hours later, when she lands, the tweet went viral and she lost everything that she had. And it took her like 10 years to go back, come back from that. And even now, like several 10 years after that, when I Google her name, Justin Casaco, the first thing that comes up is still the cancellation. (laughs) When I was canceled, the state used the opportunity to call me a terrorist, okay? Now, it it had nothing to do with it, but, you know, it was just they they joined the bandwagon. Now, if you try hard enough, you can still I mean, I won several cases. I'm not cancelled. I wrote a book, this and that. Uh, I, I survived a couple of investigations in Turkey because of these terrorism charges. It's it's done, finished. But there are things that I lost, that's one thing. But then again, I mean, if you Google me, you will still, if you go to the fourth or fifth page, you will still find that charge, my name with a terrorist and all of that. So it happens to normal people too. And I'm not against boycotting, for instance, like why shouldn't we boycott? Of course we should boycott the powerful. That's the most important tool. But there is one, the individuality here matters because sometimes what is cancellation is not what someone did. The difference is the speed and the intensity of punishment. Yes, we were there. But that's not a left thing. That's a technology
0: and broader culture thing, right? That if this woman had made that joke to her friends or, or maybe her Twitter was private or whatever, none of us would have seen that, right? And I'm not saying that, you know, your life needs to be ruined. We all make mistakes, right? No one wants to. I'm very thankful that at 50 years old, this stuff did not exist when I was 18. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because who the fuck knows what I was saying at 18, right? Context does matter. But if you are a person who says something crazy or or objectionable or whatever it is, Hey, man, like sometimes shit happens. Yes. Right. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to make light of her particular perspective, but I'm also like, I don't even really remember that woman's name like that. Right. If I wasn't reading this book, I would not remember that. Right. So to some extent, the scarlet letter exists and she got to
1: move on from that. Oh, yeah. The scarlet letter exists. And the point is, there should be punishment for mistakes. You, there, yes. I mean, words. I mean, like, deeds have consequences no one is denying that me neither I mean that what what I told you in the beginning of the thing That's I before writing the book I first did soul searching some soul searching so you start by questioning yourself first of all because if so many people are trying to find out I mean trying to say something you have to go to the deep roots of this thing okay but don't I have a chance the I is just here doesn't matter you know just uh, the generic I doesn't a person a let's say John doesn't he have the right to defend himself against whatever accusations let's just say that he's still found guilty what about the proportionality of what it's when we talk about it in interstate relations when the bombings are not proportional to say and then three redemption because you and I are both against death penalty why social death then okay because if you're guilty you're dead anyways is Kevin Spacey back no he hasn't been convicted but there are enough there is enough evidence to suggest that this guy has been doing stuff he's never gonna be coming back Maybe he will in 20 years. I think that's a
0: different conversation, right? Because I can make the same argument about Mel Gibson. Yeah. Right? Like that dude said all kinds of crazy shit, you know, talking about Jewish people using the N-word. Oh yeah, of course. And I turned on my Netflix two months ago and there's a brand new Mel Gibson movie, like brand new, not something that Netflix just dug up from 2016, like 2023 Mel Gibson movie. And he's directing some other shit right? That he got, I saw on Variety. So I'm like, is that dude canceled? Like, no, he's still working. So Kevin Spacey needs a better agent. (laughs) I don't care about them. You know, I don't care about the celebrities. But they're useful metaphors for the larger context, like sports, right? Like, I don't care if people watch sports, but sports is useful because it easily tells a story. And so what I'm saying is that if this is supposed to be a thing, I'm still struggling to find those people who it's really, truly happened to this, like you described, you said social death, who's having that? Because if, if it's, these words are being used, then I got to find the people right? And they don't have to be famous people, but famous people are useful to prove the point. They could be anonymous people.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there are examples that I give. There are websites which lists people who lost their jobs for simply hashtagging, I stand with JK Rowling. There are people who lost their jobs for misgendering people or using the wrong pronouns. And the immediate response to that, before you say it, I'll say it. There are few and there are not as many as uh, there's a moral panic by the right uh, against this well yeah exactly that's what i'm saying there is a moral panic about that The, the right is using it but i'm also saying that a certain portion of the left is giving the right the ammunition that's my problem i mean you know it's it's just i'm i'm looking at it if you want to just put it in a different way, instrumental, how am I, if you said sports, how am I going to win the game? How am I going to win the game? Okay, I I just want to at least be able to not lose the game. And I think if I give them because, you know, we are accusing, okay, you may not have, well, you you'll notice it now that my podcast is going around, you may Be you know guilt by association, cancelled by association, whatever you know. I mean, some people will look into your bio, try to find out about it. Now I'm not that important, so nothing is going to happen. Well, I'm I'm definitely not that important. (laughs) (laughs) No, me neither. Me neither. But that's the point. I mean, my book was pitched to all liberal and left wing outlets. Nobody picked it up just because of well, it's. Too sensitive. I mean, why is it so difficult to kind of come, you know, come to say that you disagree? You think that I am maybe kind of having uh, a kind of distorted view of things, which I'm prepared to to admit. Why? Because I I went through a personal experience, which maybe absolutely, which maybe you know is the prism through which you know my reality is distorted. Could be the case because you know what did I? I'm not cancelled either. I'm not Dave Chappelle, but I'm not cancelled either. But I lost two things in the process and there were two projects about my son. That matters to me. That, they will, that won't come back. Now, was this professional? Because, you know, I proved in, in the court of law in Sweden, you know, uh, that I was right. But what's done is done. And right now, I'm just trying to find a way to win the game, the soccer game. I mean, you know, I, I we need to be, you know, we need to be Pep Guardiola, like reinvent the game, not Jose <laughs> Mourinho, uh, reinvent, and not Jose Mourinho, who, when he loses, goes and and spits on the face of the referee, you know, kicks fights, picks. No, you know, see, that's what I'm saying.
0: I will say this one thing about Jose that I really respect. That dude keeps a check. He finds a way to get, he's making more money for, from teams who he left <laughs> than from the team he's coaching. Well, he's a he's a good coach. I, I got to take hats off for that. <laughs> he's still getting checks from Man
1: U. He ain't coached there in years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the point. I mean, but the point is, you know, if you have a whole industry, the right, who is actually looking for every single little thing to make it, you know, a huge moral panic out of it. You know, if just uh, a raindrop can become a, you know, big earthquake. Uh, We're doing, we're giving this to them. Why are we, you know, I mean, from, from where I stand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's, that's another one of my, one of my things, right? Like are we, and I'm using the universal we, right? Are we giving them these things or are they, they're going to do these things regardless, right? Like if, if the entire left, right, the left. Just said nothing. If the left decided, you know what, we're gonna take a break. We're not gonna utter a word in 30 days. They still gonna talk. Like this whole bathroom stuff. I was in a a, a unisex bathroom at the one, the one hotel, like a week or so ago, right? This is nothing new in New York, you know, the land of hedonism, jokingly, right? And it's like, you know what? No tragedy. Nothing happened. People walked in and out. The world continued to spin on its axis. They've been talking about bathrooms since I can remember, right? You reference Alan Bloom's book. I read that shit in college, right? Like, they've been on this shit forever. What my point is, is like, it doesn't matter what the left does. They are gonna come up with some bullshit regardless. So, why am I thinking about this in the context of them?
1: We need to have the ideas. Because we're not talking in the context of them, fear. We're talking about the context of people who can still be convinced. That's what I'm saying. You know, I'm not going to make the light change its mind for sure. They're flat earthers. If the left, Behaved impeccably. Let's just say whatever that is. You know, I don't define it. Just, just as a matter of you know. Yeah, whatever the definition of impeccable is. Mental, exactly, exact. They would still find yeah. something else to go on. As I said, you know, you we said it. Red scare today, this tomorrow, immigrants, Muslims in in the future. Who knows? Shintoists or Confucius? Because China will become the main. So they'll find it. But it's, I don't give a fuck about them. I'm giving a fuck about people that I can get from that side now I consider myself successful because I convinced a skeptic like you to talk to me because if I were woke (laughs) you would either be thinking like me or you know but that was my point I made you read it somehow you managed to read it and you're talking to me now I have this platform yeah, that's is also a privilege, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I don't care about them. And that brings me to my, you know, that in the I don't only criticize in this book, I also suggest something. And actually, because it's not an academic book only, it's it's a trade book, it's like for a general audience, I give a concrete example of the guys and women who are doing this experiment, the race class narrative, which is based on the very thing that we are, you know, the identity politics left is defending. The concept is based on interest convergence, which is by Derrick Bell, the inventor of critical race theory. And you know, very simple point, the blacks are not going to win this fight, or put it put differently, the whites are not going to let go of their privileges, unless they perceive, not in reality maybe, but they perceive that their interests converge. This is not the civil rights Martin Luther King thing, this is post-civil rights. So that was his idea and these guys have tried to find messaging which would try to attract as many people as possible by bringing race and class together. They've done that. They've, they've spent loads of money. They had good sponsors. I don't know whether Soros is one of them, but I know the critical, the uh, the critical uh, kind of liberal think tank Demos is behind it. This is an experiment that they carried out not only in U.S. and put into practice in 2020 elections. They increased in swing states, in the pilot areas, they increased Biden's vote three times. So it worked. Now, it's you're the you say you're a quant person. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I'm a little bit of everything. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, you know, why not give it a shot? Because then they crossed the ocean and they tried the same narrative in the UK. It worked there too. What did they do? It's very simple. They said there's a fucking neoliberal capitalist system there. We are all working class. Yes, working class does not have a color, as you just put it in New York Times, you know, terminology. Yeah. They're using race to pit us against each other. Why don't we just join forces and fight against, you know, the rich? Simple, I know. And it's ma- more complicated than that. But actually, it's not much more complicated than that. They put it in simple terms. I agree with all of that, and this has been
0: used. I mean, you know the the Black Panther Party. I mean, yeah, reached out to parties in you know white parties in in the South. They worked with the Latin Kings. Like that was Fred Hampton's whole message, right? That we need a a Marxist perspective in in, in that world. I'm less interested in kind of the capital Marxist thing. Capitalism sucks. Um, I think we need to find something different. I don't know what that something different is, but we need to be working toward something incredibly different. And they murdered that brother, right? So that's kind of like my point, one of my points, right, is that, you know, this breakdown on the left is due to a lot of organized resistance from the right, much of it very violent, you know, much of it focused on murdering heads of state as they came out of um, colonialism, murdering activists. I mean, every year It's a a new year, a new yearly high of climate activists that are murdered all around the world. This is done on behalf of, of corporations and states that are looking to extract from the earth, right? So in light of that violence, you know, I keep coming back to focusing there, right? Like figuring out through lines to confront those challenges rather than the fringe that's out here arguing about certain things. And, you know, I'm pronouns, that's an easy thing to
1: kind of jump on, getting pronouns right. You know, but I think if you're that person, that's important. Look, I mean, but there are examples. I mean, violence, right? And how did Black Lives Matter fight against it, fought against it? You know, it's some chapters of it did use violence. Am I against Antifa? Not in principle. I mean, sometimes some things that they do, yes, but then again, I know, for instance, in the example, I've, I've done research on that too. I didn't use it in the book, but I mean, you know, when the uh, post Yanopoulos, you know, this charlatan, uh, Berkeley events, it wasn't Antifa. It was people who were implanted there from the right acting as Antifa. So it's, it's bullshit, it's, it's a spectacle, right? So it's not that, you know, if necessary, you fight violently. Okay, I, like, I live right now for the last five years in Barcelona. You have a very vibrant independentist separatist movement. And I have kids, bourgeois kids, okay, in a private university. So middle class, upper middle class, rich kids. They go to manifest, they call it manifestations, demonstrations, and fight with the police, like teeth to teeth, literally. And I ask them, okay, guys, but why are you resorting to violence? And they say, well, they attacked first. And then I say far, fair enough. Now, I don't know whether they're lying or not, but I don't care. That's a justification for me. You know, I mean, I would have done that too. I went to the Gezi protests in Turkey in 2013. I didn't live there. I I fought the police. They were throwing tear gas and I was throwing rocks. I mean, why not? That's not the issue. What I'm saying is we know that we can, I mean, Black Lives Matter, after all these things that financial scandals, decentralization, Antifa violence, some of the policy proposals, you know, defund the police, they were still popular. They were still approved in 2022 when I last checked by more than a majority of the American population. So it works. It's not easy, but it works. And who cares about, who cares about run this? I don't care about the Santis. I don't care about, I care about people like you, Phil. You know, we're making a lot of good headway
0: here. I got to keep an eye on the time because I got to get you out of here. I want to get to the final segment of the show, um, which is the drop. And the drop is just an opportunity for us to share anything at all for uh, my listeners to to read or take a look at or whatever. It's very open-ended. My drop is a show called Jury Duty. I just finished it last night. It's on started on Freevee which is a terribly named subset of Amazon Prime but you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's it's just an amazing little fun show, a comedy about a guy going through jury duty and I'll leave it at that cuz I don't want to give anything about it away, but it's just a, a really cool premise and the guy that they focus on is is genuinely one of the kindest human beings i think i've ever come across in my life so maybe through him we can find a a through line so
1: you're up i'm a a very much of a serious person but i mean you know it's something that to drop just like that Uh, well okay i mean you know anything yeah anything it doesn't have to be
0: tv it can be a book it could be a piece of music anything at all doesn't matter
1: look i mean i i would say uh definitely the purpose of power alicia Garza's memoir definitely that's my book And then as a person, I would say, find out whatever you can on Barbara Smith and Combahee River Collective, because that is left progress. These are the people who invented the term identity politics. And they're also unhappy with certain stuff. And like, let me just completely change the tune and say that right now I'm after several attempts, I finally managed to get through succession. Okay. And the thing that I like there is that there are no good characters, just like real life. There is nobody you can associate yourself with or you can root for. They're all faulty, flawed. I love it. Well, we are definitely all all that. Um, I wanna I wanna really
0: thank you for your work, your sincerity, the, the scholarship, and of course for being on the show. We definitely gotta do a part two because I, I know we're gonna gonna have a lot of good feedback on this and it's, it's always good to engage in ideas and keep our eye on the real enemy out there. But I wanna thank you for joining me on the Deep
1: Dive. I think we do have a common enemy and that's fascism. You know, simple as that. Now we may disagree on how to fight them, but basically, the enemy is the same. It's 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 a matter of deciding between Pep and Jose. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and as a as a kind of uh, honorary Catalan, I have to go for Pep. You have to go for Pep. Barça is my team as well. Well, I mean, you know, Barça, man. What can I do? It's this is this is uh, Camp No. <laughs> is that absolutely, man, absolutely. You should come and visit us. Bring the boys. I want to. I haven't
0: been to Barcelona in years, but I I definitely want to come out there. My friends would love to come out and and, and see a match. So we'll have to make that happen.
1: And I can arrange, you know, to friends to, I'll take you personally to the Barca Museum where you can see all the golden ballon doors that Messi got. I'm booking my ticket. Yeah, great, man. (laughs) It was a pleasure, Phil. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You can listen to the deep dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at farflungphil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.